Grade podcast. My name is Jess and I'm a film student and creative here to talk about things I'm not qualified to talk about. Today I'm joined with two people who are very special to me, who I have the privilege to call my parents. Ken and Amanda Rowe took a leap of faith 13 years ago when they went from running their IT business to moving to Kangaroo Island and buying an oyster farm. Now, the business, Kangaroo Island Shellfish and the retail outlet, the Oyster Farm Shop offers a tasty and environmentally conscious product, as well as a farm gate experience for travellers from all over the world. But it wasn't and isn't always easy. Amanda and Ken would face the challenges of running a business in rural Australia and have been through some really tough years. I admire my parents so much for what they have built. Keep listening to find out why oysters will save the world. Hi, Mum and Dad. How are you feeling about being on the podcast? A little nervous. I'm, I'm scared I won't know the answers. Yeah, I'm a bit nervous too, because your intro was so perfectly read, executed. I'm wondering we might stuff the rest of your podcast up. Well... I think I have already. <laughs> <laughs> I would love for you guys to explain, in your own words, what your business is. So our current business, um, well, there's a few businesses tucked within one business, but it's mostly around what we like to call positive impact aquaculture, which is uh, aquaculture and, and food production, um, which not only produces uh, tasty, cool marine food, it, it has other positive benefits to the world, like in the case of oysters, like, uh, you know, assisting climate change through carbon sequestration, I think we call it, Ooh, wow. um, and other and other things like biodiversity. So that's a good example of a positive impact thing. Mm-hmm. And then, so so we we focus on, on on that with our with our aquaculture, and then with our shop, which is another part of it, we sort of showcase that to the t- tourists of Kangaroo Island, which of course there's lots, and showcase other uh, products from Kangaroo Island. Do you have anything to add to that? Uh, yeah, part of the farm shop is an experience, but also educating people on um, positive impact aquaculture and um, making sure that they they know that there's better choice seafood out there mm-hmm. that um, is better to consume because we have sustainability mm-hmm. around those species. I know that there's been like some confusion when people hear about the oyster farm shop or they go there, they, they're expecting a cafe or a restaurant because those are the kind of mainstream mm. eateries. But yours is something mm. quite different because it's a farm gate mm. experience. So do you want to describe what farm gate means and how that's different from a restaurant? Yes. So we actually have started putting in a lot of our marketing now. We're not a restaurant, a cafe or a fish and chip shop. Um, because we need to try and manage people's expectations. Um, We're a farm gate outlet, so we we showcase our products that we farm in the water just across the road from the shop Mm -hmm. and also aquaculture produce like marin um, that's also farmed on the island and and green-lipped abalone that's farmed on the island. Um, so it's based around harvesting the fresh stock, bringing it in. We're a farm, so we don't have massive quantities of one size of oyster. We have a range of, of sizes and a, and a range of species. And so it's a harvest of the day kind of approach. And where does the experience come into it? We've recently started tours, tour experiences, uh, which you had something to do with, if I remember correctly. cred. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we have a daily farm tour, um, which is a a little tour around our farm, uh, sorry, our land base 
um, area. Uh, in American River. In American River, explaining the life cycle of the oysters and a little bit of our history and a little bit of American River history and um, a little bit about oysters and, and how we farm them. And um, we're planning to roll out some more higher-end tours in the next 12 months. Awesome. Let's start from the beginning when you decided to up and leave Adelaide um, and head to this random island and buy an oyster farm with no farming experience. So I guess my question is, what were you on? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Good question. What wasn't I on? Um, I wasn't (laughs) on a satisfying place, in a satisfying place. So I did, I do love IT and programming and all that sort of stuff, but um, you know, so we built a successful uh, IT company, I guess, but I was losing a bit of the satisfaction there. I wanted to do something a bit deeper. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why we, uh, so there's twofold really. So we're searching, I was searching for aquaculture uh, or something that I felt was uh, going to contribute more to the world mm-hmm. at this at that stage of my life, and secondly, I wanted to bring up my kids in a place, uh, or our kids in a place that um, was. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't, actually, well, how do I used to describe? I used to say, well, if we bring the, our kids up in a nice place, then half, then you know, then half the problem solved. Because um, I didn't know if I was going to be a good parent or not, so I thought, we'll bring them in a spot where it's easy to so bring up kids. So then the village can raise. Them. You don't right. have to worry. As, as we call it, free range kids. So there's a lot of good things. So there's twofold. But in, in regard to the the farming, I, I, I looked into uh, marin farming and other things, just looking to see what um, aquaculture. Or what, I was interested in aquaculture, but what mm-hmm. what we could grow that would contribute positively to the world, um, and because some of the things that I wanted to overcome is like, you know, the, the amount of wild catch fish species that are just getting depleted or smashed at the moment is just huge. You know, I, I can't remember the numbers, but there's so many species getting lost every day. Such a you know, wild catch and, and the, 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 the ocean's getting polluted and we're hearing more and more about this now. So I wanted to do something positive. So I was really drawn to that, uh, doing something noble, feeling like contributing to the world rather than just whinging about the world's a shit place. Mm-hmm. It's like, we're going to do something about it. Um, yeah, so that was the first stupid idea I had. <laughs> <laughs> and they just oh. kept coming. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but why farming? Oh, I think I always had a bit of a desire, personally, to you do something on the land the, or on the water. You grew up in the city. Yeah, I, I, well, I think from one to zero to five, I was in Panola, like down the southeast, and we used to travel a lot, so I sort of had the little, you know, the bush and the boy sort of yeah. thing. So I always wanted to do something like that for sure. Um, my grandpa was a fisherman, amongst other things. He was my hero, and uh, and Amanda's sides fishing. Fishing. So yeah. it wasn't. Co- so it wasn't completely random, but um, but, it but did close feel to it. Completely random. <laughs> yeah, admittedly, it probably looked that way to everyone else. But for me, I wanted to do it, and I wanted a challenge. I wanted to do something with my hands. I wanted to do something with my. Body, like oh, I was getting a bad back from sitting at meetings all the time and all this sort of stuff. So mm-hmm. I wanted to do something constructive there personally. Um, yeah, so it sort of ticked all the boxes. And, of course, there were a lot of challenges that came with it, which you need a whole other podcast for probably. <laughs> but, um... Yeah. <laughs> for people who don't know much about Kangaroo Island, and I'd like to get both your perspectives on this, could you explain how it differs from an average Adelaide lifestyle? Well, one of our things that we used to say is when we have kids, we'll, we want to teach them country and and city. It was like a deliberate thing we used to talk about. Survival skills. 
say, say country and city and country was, you know, about community, about a bit of bush, about of survival skills and, and the enjoyment of that, as well as the city. Mm-hmm. Although I do think, Jess, I might need to do a bit of a refresher course on some of the survival skills after I've seen you and your sister <laughs> trying a lot of fire. Well, but, you know, Dad, you, you intended that we would, you know, be able to live both lifestyles, but actually it just turns out I don't fit properly into either of them. <laughs> don't. Of course you no, do. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think about that, that sort of question. Like, oh, I could never go back and live in the city full time now. I think I've done all that. And uh, I love the community. I love the freedom of... You know, there's a lot of hard work, and, and here on Kangaroo Island, there's a lot of uh, there's the ups and the downs. You know, it's not all easy, that's for sure. Mm. But I, in summary, I couldn't go back to the city unless I had to, probably for long long periods of time, not to live. But I think I so, we're so proud that we brought you girls up here, and and um, I think you do get a different perspective of the world if you live if you grow up in the country. Yeah. Um, but also if you've grown up on an island. Um, you know, so you've got that little p- different perspective on the world that a lot of mainstreamers would have, but um, so which which is cool, cool thing. Yeah. <laughs> Mainlanders, <laughs> definitely grateful to have grown up here. Mum, yes. What, how does it differ? And don't be afraid to get into the specifics either. Okay. Well, being a city girl from down south, um... a city girl from down <laughs> south—that's a bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, look, when when your dad was saying, oh, "I want to," you know, we're having a baby. I really want to raise our kids in the country. I would just freeze up and think, "Oh, oh. my God, there is no way I'll do that." It was so out of my realm. I was not going to do it, but we did it, and I haven't ever looked back. I think um, the sense of community is the biggest thing, and mm-hmm. and it it happens in all country towns. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. The, the community pulls together and makes amazing things happen. You think that you're just rolling along on your own in your own little life, going through all your own hurdles, but when you hit one of those hurdles, all of a sudden people bring food to you or they do things around your house and everyone just comes together and helps people out, which I, I always find amazing, especially after these bushfires and other yeah other things that we've gone through. Um, the freedom for kids to just wander uh, like we used to when we grew up. That, I think that was the, a really important mm. thing, mm. Um, to be able to just go for a walk down the beach and find crabs and not have to be driven everywhere. The business environment is um, uh, quite challenging over here. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would probably be the one thing that I really wasn't mentally prepared for yeah. after coming from business, running businesses in Adelaide. Um, well, that was actually my next question. It was, um, in terms of running a business, what are the extra challenges that come into play when you're in a remote area? Because a lot of people wouldn't even think about that aspect of things, especially because we've got, we're on an island, so it's actually a boat ride to get anything over here, mm. stuff like that. Yeah, well, I, I was probably one of those people that didn't think of it, think it through, um, <laughs> because I know, I, you know, I was maybe a bit cocky from running successful businesses. Um, so I knew I, there was going to be a challenge learning how to oyster farm, mm-hmm. but that was probably the least of the problems or the issues that we faced. Um, you know, if I look back now after 12 years of it, you know, we had six of them in the early years or hard years. And it was because the cost of doing business over here on Kangaroo Island is so much higher, but also just getting the services, getting the parts, you know, you get parts mm-hmm. from somewhere, then they're the wrong parts, you send them back. The fact that we're the only 
uh, Oyster Farm. Well, there's a couple others trying now, but um, you know we didn't have any one to any sounding boards or any little mm. groups. So so isolated in that respect. Um, and then you know just other challenges around that for sure were um, bigger than I thought. And then you know the regulatory challenges. I've got to say um, were sort of unsuitable for things as well. You know you could just get lumped in forever. Also, those were the challenges that really make it hard for us. Not not the oyster growing, but admittedly, you know, then I say like after twelve years, six of them were pretty tough. But you know, three or four of them probably came out of the spat shortage mm. um, that we had. So we've gone through a lot spat, of challenges. What spat? So spat, spat's the little baby oysters that, that we buy from a hatchery, and they we depended on them in South Australia coming from Tasmania. Mm. And then when Tasmania got this disease, we weren't allowed to get them, so we had to build up our own supply in South Australia. Yeah. So that was just another thing that added to. You know the years of not not getting to where we wanted to, yeah. but I've got to say though, Jess, we've now got to a point where we are, you know, in front. Um, but there's a lot of really tough years, and it, you know, and I wondered sometimes we make the right decision, um, but luckily we've raised a beautiful family, so that outweighs everything Yay. from a business point of view. You know, we didn't make all the money we hoped to do in the early days, but um, but now we're. But that sort was of, never the point. No, that exactly. Well, that's no, what we keep that's telling right. ourselves. We knew we were never gonna. <laughs> No, we knew we were never going to make the same sort of money that you could make in IT. It was more about having a connection lifestyle. with the land was, and, yeah. and that lifestyle and, and the family. But we've done it right now. So, you know, it was tough times, but I, I don't let myself forget them because I've got a, I've got a, bit, I've got a memory like a goldfish, so it's easy <laughs> for me to forget stuff. And mum will remind me <laughs> why we did stuff. <laughs> but, um, do but, but, you know, they were tough times. And if it wasn't for help from family and friends sometimes, it was like, oh, God, this is, you know, what have we, what have we done? And it's not that we're ever poor or anything. It's just like uh, we've got an oyster farm, we've got a house, we've got another property, and then it's like uh, a mate down the pub said to me, you know, you are the poorest rich man I've ever met. <laughs> or is it the richest poor man? I was like, I don't know. We, we, you know, we were really going through some just tough got times. Everything can just disappear um, when, when you get into that really hard place in life. Things can just go badly. But, you know, we've gone through that. Yeah. We'll never forget it. We've gone through that and we're in a... Much happier and place. We, and actually, Dad glued a gold coin to the roof of the house and said, we'll never be poor because we've always got this. No, I think, no, I, think I said if we ever oh. have to get that one down, we know which time to oh. leave. And it's still there, that $1 coin stuck there. Good thing I put some good good glue on it. Yeah. Because I clawed it a few times. Oh. <laughs> no, we're good now. So that's good to note, though. Everything's, everything's good now. Yeah. But, uh, but I think, strength to strength. you know, the, the seasonality of the island is a big thing. And yeah. seasonality of the island... In terms of tourism. In terms of visitation uh, for tourism. And and it's sort of... Um, it doesn't align perfectly with the... Visit, with the um, sorry, season of oysters. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, everyone wants seafood in summer, um, January, Feb uh, December, January, February... And oyster season is more around winter, spring, mm. and and there's still oysters coming out um, in summer, but they're not um, in massive quantities. Yeah. So um, seasonality, staffing, yeah. all those sort of things. Challenges, were, which is why you, yeah. it's why you're almost forced to diversify to be yeah. here. People look back now and think, oh, you guys are, are great, you're amazing, what you've done, and 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 that you know you're still here because so many businesses come and go over two, three year period where people burn out. Mm. Mm. Whereas, you know, we're here 10, 13 years later. It's because taking that diversified business model of having a shop, of having tours, of having the farm, and, and we also got the IT. Mm. Yeah, and even the IT things sort of come back into yeah. play where it's sort of come this mm. full circle. Yeah. So, 
Although it keeps us very busy, it also uh, gives us this diversification that, um, that gives strength in a business model. So we're really yeah. proud of that. I'm always really impressed by the fact that as lovers, you mm. are. Oh, yuck. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're also able to run a business together, and technically, if you include Choice IT, the Kangaroo Eco Cabins, which you also have, Kangaroo Shellfish, and the Oyster Farm Shop, you have run four businesses together. And my shell. And my shell. So what have been your biggest challenges about being not only business partners and life partners? And how do you think you have managed? <laughs> Slash have you? Alcohol. <laughs> do you guys talk? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh God, I don't know. Um, I, some, I hate to think, but Amanda's still with me. So sometimes I think, well, if she was unhappy, she could have left. But, you know, we're, you know, she could have left. So, so um, you know, the fact that we're together. Well, things were tough. When things were tough, you know, seriously, when things were tough, people split up all the time. We've been together 30 years. Yeah. Right? Just for Whoa, the record. 30 years. Not married and together for 30 years. And we've known people who are married two times in that time. Yeah. And a lot of, hardly anyone's been together that long. And we've done all this adventure. We've gone through the good times and the tough times and the this times and that times. Dragged her from the city into this godforsaken country. No, that's not really <laughs> Island paradise. And, uh, you know, take her out of her comfort zone, as she said, and all that. So, you know, and I do think sometimes, well, what's the measure of whether, you know, how, uh, whether we've made the right decisions? And I think, well, we've got a beautiful family and she's with me as a, with a beautiful family. Surely that's the measure of... Success. Happy life, happy life. I'm going to stop now. <laughs> to me, it seems like you guys aren't that good at setting boundaries because you're always talking about work. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Hi. So we met at work. Back, oh, yeah. Back when I was 18 and your dad was 21 or something. Mm -hmm. So our... We I, met at the photocopy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So our relationship started in a work environment yeah. and then we moved into other jobs. We did tend to be in the same areas. Um, I went to work for a, a private company. Your dad came in. We grew that company to a, a business that was across states um, in Australia. And then we broke out and went into our own company and then we had you and I think that was the most isolated I've ever felt is when I was at Your home fault. looking after a baby <laughs> yeah. and your dad was doing the business, mm. something else, and I, and we had different goals. Yeah. We, we weren't on the same level. Like you felt more connected when you were unified. Yeah, doing, and you know when, when, when I've had a bad day because something's happened. You don't have to explain all the detail and the backstory and everything because you both know what, what you're both dealing with. Yeah. So you cut out all that, well, most of that. <laughs> most of that. Well, I think it's a good question about the boundaries because I really try to set boundaries because I'm sick of blurring it. It's, you've got to be really disciplined. Yeah. You've got to be really force yourself to, to not to do it and say, okay, we're going to talk about work, we're not going to talk about work. But it is difficult. I think anyone that does it would probably say the same thing. Anyone that runs their own business would find it very difficult yeah. to switch off. Like Especially our first conversation this morning was about shop renovations. Well, but especially because <laughs> yeah, you guys are also creative, like 
Yes. So it's like in some ways yes. I'm sure talking about the business is something that's fun, but it's hard to know when it gets past the point of being fun and exciting and it just turns into a drag of like stop yes. talking about work, stop stressing. Yeah, that's true. And and creativity, you can't turn it on and off. It's not a nine to five. Oh, mm. oh I'm going to be creative now because it's ten. Well, actually, in the it is for some people. Some oh. creativity, like some. This is actually an interesting topic because mm. we talked about it at uni a bit. Where it's like some people can sit down. Like for me, I can actually sit down, have a criteria, and be like, I'm going to create right now in this criteria, and like that still works. Does that make sense? But, like, for some people it's not. It's just random, like, in the middle of the night you have a creative idea. Yeah, well, I, I, I prefer to try and schedule the times. Like, we had a talk about stuff this morning because we planned to talk about stuff this morning. Yeah. For the last two days, Christmas and everything, Boxing Day, like, the idea was not to. So, yeah. so, so, you, so like, to me, you got to, you know, yeah, I'm a bit of a scheduler and a diary person, so let's do it then yeah. and let's... And then outside of that, not do it. But sometimes things just go into your head, yeah. but you just got to try like and Like, I heard you up. guys talking about it on Christmas. <laughs> yes, you told us after, didn't you? Mm. But yeah. it's, sometimes, you know, it is, does blur. Because sometimes I like talking about the good stuff. Yeah, I just exactly. Don't like to, on Christmas, I'll talk about good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> not bad stuff. <laughs> I think also for me, because we agreed that the roles would be that I would be dealing with getting kids to school and um, kids' sport and mm. stuff like that around the work stuff, I find that I don't actually get, get a clear run at... at creative thought until night time yeah so so a, a lot of the stuff that I've done in the last 10 years a lot of it's at, at night is when my head finally becomes free to think yeah. about things that may change now that you girls are getting older and maybe yeah don't know maybe I still ring you every 10 seconds yeah that's so. true <laughs> <laughs> with all your ideas <laughs> yes Jess let's talk about your creative mind no <laughs> let's talk a bit about farming so the word farming to me brings with it a lot of different associations so I think of you guys I think of the land farmers that I grew up around and I think of the hard times that a lot of farmers are going through with droughts nowadays and everything um, and mental health around farming yeah. but I also think of people who grew up in a city and their perception of farming compared to mine because I've heard things said about farming that I believe to be quite oversimplifying and sometimes ignorant because a lot of times small-scale farms like the ones I grew up around are grouped in with massive industrial cage farms which leads to the overall demonising of the farmer. So what are your thoughts on this? What are, you th what are your thoughts on like the perception of the farmer? Well, in, in some societies... The farmers are kings. <laughs> Anyone that provides food for the people is is um, right up there in the social hierarchy, but uh, not in our country. I think it's very undervalued. <laughs> uh, I think it just depends. Your summary there, Jessie, was good because, um, Thanks, you man. know, people, farming means a lot. Like you've got, like, like you say, chook cage farmers. Mm. You've got um, marrow farmers or aquaculture people like us who think we're doing something positive for the planet. Yeah. You've got um, you know crop farming. You've got other aquaculture farming where 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 it's still not you know not that good for the environment. So so where we draw the line um, on the farming that we're interested in is what uh, has a good environmental outcome, what's sustainable, sustainable farming. But I also think where the world was in farming when there was less people, mm. then 
you could farm, you could mine, you could take stuff out of the earth mm. and it wouldn't really have much of an impact. But now, of course, there's so many people to feed yeah. and, um, and resources are limited that, that, that it's changing. It's all, and, 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 and further to that, what man's doing is changing the climate. So, so these things then have an effect back on farming. So it's a massive, broad area. And you're right, some people in the city, to me, there, there's definitely a disconnect from people that grow up on the land mm. that see a sheep getting born or see someone cutting, uh, filleting a fish and eating it yeah. um, versus just buying something in cling wrap uh, in a mm. storing container. Yeah. You know, um, there, there's a real disconnect. You know, more and more you want to, you want these the people to connect and you want more and more information out there because I think there's a lot of farmers that are actually really, really proactive and green farming. Yeah, yeah. And, and they don't get here. enough recognition because they're all thrown under the bus as like you've destroyed the world when in fact they're the same people that are saving the world. Yeah. And the thing that makes this, thought, like the idea of farming so complex is like there could be someone who grew up in the city who's like, oh, cow farmers, sheep farmers bad because methane and everything mm. but then those actual the actual people farming like our friends who are farmers are some of the most like would live so much more sustainably than that person mm. judging in the yeah, city exactly. if that makes sense much less yeah. footprint yeah. yeah 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 which is ironic because it's like obviously methane and stuff is an issue but it's also like it's more complex than just being like farmers and farming is bad. Eradicate. That's right. And you do definitely have to drill down. Like, you know, if there's a lot of beef being eaten and you've got to look at how much water and grain, if it's grain fed and the methane, you know, you've got to weigh all that up against um, different type, different styles of farming, um, you know, uh, like aquaculture. I'm going to plug out what we do, you know, but that sort of thing um, is so much more sustainable and actually gives benefit back to the earth. If the city people had the opportunity to be connected, like a lot of city people do have country cousins, which is so cool. Yeah. But and but those that do, and they then they just if they get a little bit more connected with the land, they do understand a lot more about what's sustainable and and um, what what better choices are about. Yeah. Can I just say one of my favourite ones is when they talk when they sell you know into Melbourne or something they sell grass fed sheep and the yeah. people pay more for this grass fed sheep. What do they usually eat? <laughs> We're not grass. Sure. <laughs> I love it. It's the best story ever. It's a classic example. Oh, no. <laughs> but the farmers get more money out of it because they're selling grass-fed sheep rather than grass-fed sheep. Don't you think that that whole, um, <laughs> that whole perception of, of farming being bad for the environment has been exacerbated? I guess that's what you were saying, exacerbated by population growth. So yeah. way back yeah. when, farming was very sustainable because, you know, every family had a cow and a couple of yeah. sheep and a, a few chooks and whatever. But, but to feed this population that's just multiplying and multiplying, yeah. um, all of a sudden there's... there's bad elements of farming but and magnified, then the, yeah. and it's magnified but now but then the farmers are leading the way in in using technology and um finding more sustainable ways to to do what they do yeah. and still be able to produce the quantity it's right if we're gonna have this many people in the world we have to have clever sustainable uh yeah. um farming and and innovation mm. is inevitably gonna it is the, the solution to this, like what they call ag tech and stuff. And I also want to add that obviously there's people who believe that like we shouldn't be eating meat in the first place. So I wanted to add that whether or not anyone should be eating meat is a separate discussion. The discussion that we're having now is not about whether it's right or wrong to eat meat, but it's about 
if we're going to move forward with farming still a part of... So, can I say, mm. Jess, I don't know whether you even mm. bother using this, but uh, when you asked about the difference between moving from the city to the country yeah. and, uh, you know, what, what sticks in my mind, mm. one of the biggest things I noticed is how aware of the weather I am when I'm... <laughs> compared to what I used to yeah. be you know when we were working in the city it, it was like oh it's hot oh it's cold mm. uh, oh, I need an umbrella uh, I, I wear sandals you know mm. that they, they were the decisions that you made yeah but but particularly with working on the water but working in farming all of a sudden which direction is the wind um, you know, how, what's the percentage of rainfall that we're going to get? A high-pressure system could mean the tide's down by 30 centimetres. There you go. Trivial fact. So you, you <laughs> and, and you do slowly morph into this. You walk outside and go, particularly on an island where there's going to be wind from mm. one direction or another, and you walk out and go, ah, oh, right, it's a southerly. I think she's going to rain today. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. <laughs> It's hard. It's hard not to sound like a wanker when you're on a podcast. (laughs) You're talking about yourself. Yeah, I sound like a wanker every episode. One of my favourite facts about oysters is that even though they are an animal, they are unable to feel. So I'm wondering if one of you could elaborate on this. I'm not a biologist, but they don't have a central nervous system. Mm -hmm. So in theory, not having a central nervous system means you don't you don't have that. You don't feel. Um, yeah. in the normal way. But then some, some dude, when I was doing all longer markets recently, <laughs> did come up with his dreadlocks and say, you know, there's new studies that plants can feel, dude. So when you chop a leaf off a plant, they can feel it. That's why they wilt. Did someone actually say that? Yeah, yeah fair income that there's someone's doing a study that plants can feel. So why? What are, are you air biscuits? Why would you do that? Why would you do that study? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure he was just saying that to, as an example of like, yeah. you know, they were always doing studies on something. But um, I think it was a, a doctor that I had, was with who's a vegetarian. He said that he eats them for that reason. So there's a lot of people that, who are vegetarians eat oysters because they don't feel the pain. But it depends why you're a vegetarian and all that sort yeah. of stuff. So you just make your own choices. Yeah. So, yeah, they don't have a central nervous system. Why, so, why, did, why did the oyster cross Oh, why? Oh, damn. Why did the oyster leave the party early? Because he pulled a muscle. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you laughed at that. Because <laughs> it's <Sorry>. funny. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to make fun up, but it's not <laughs> I want to talk about what's infamously known in our family as July 10th, never again. Because this was the start of the toughest time you guys had to face. So what exactly happened and how were you able to come back from it? No, your dad had a birthday. <laughs> yeah, July 10th, dad's birthday. Happy birthday. <laughs> we had the biggest... Oh, a one in thirty year storm. The the locals uh, told us mm-hmm. that blew from the east. Nor nor east. <laughs> we had it was our second or third year on the farm, and we had filled the farm to the brim with oysters, larger oysters, because we were going to have a massive year. We were going to be um, selling some to new markets and everything, and and yeah, we lost half half of our farm in the storm. So the infrastructure was old, which I, we probably didn't realise because we didn't know that much about oyster farming at that stage. And that set us back um, a significant amount of money and 
Um, then we went into... I didn't get any birthday presents. No, you didn't get a birthday <laughs> present. Um, poor Dylan rang you on your birthday, actually, because we, we... I remember. We took you... We went over to Victor Harbour. Oh, right, yeah. It was the first little oh. teeny three-day oh. holiday or two-day holiday that we had since we bought the farm, and we got a phone call saying, you're not going to like this. Uh, then we had, what, well, two, three, four very long, hard years ahead of us just trying to... Um, Only a couple, really, I think. It felt like three or four. Yeah, <laughs> but I think that's when I, I worked. Like I worked. I worked every single day for the entire year. Oh my god! And maybe then some. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. It's just like a fog. Yeah. yeah. I worked every single day, and I can't even remember it. So I, I missed a year with my girls. And I sort of regret that, but I've made up since now. No, now I just <laughs> annoy you as much as I can, so that you remember. I read somewhere that July the 10th, also out of about five years in a row, or it might have been six years in a row, five of them, the ferries were cancelled on July the 10th because it was just renowned to be just this really? the worst day. So five out of six years, I reckon it was, the ferry was cancelled, cancelled, which was cancelled, <laughs> which is why, um, which is why I never get my birthday presents from my mum. <laughs> Maybe. That's not true. She does give me some. Hi, mum. <laughs> does she listen to your podcast? I don't know. <laughs> I hope so. Hi, Grandma. Thanks for the robot. (laughs) (laughs) Stop. I I won't edit it out. Do you remember all the yachties at American River um, after that storm? They they were scouring the beaches. The oysters. (laughs) No, some of them were. Yeah, some of them were. Bastards. No, some of them were, literally. They and they told they told someone who told me and said, Oh they reckon just go along the beach and you'll find oysters for a free fee freed. And you were just like they're mine. Yeah. Not all the yotties, but a couple and a guy we called John the Yotty, who who was a farmer himself yeah. and he got washed out um, back in his day, all his mm. veggie farmer and he uh, he knows all he, he knew all pain. about the pain. Mm. So he, he was out there helping oh. as hard as he could and a few you know People came out and helped for sure. We had and we've we built had it a, back stronger and better than ever before. Yeah, but we had oyster farmers telling us you should just to walk. leave. Yeah, just yeah. Walk. I said, but what too? And we got some good future. I mean, I love being in it now, but there were tough times, which you know can talk about. But but also, I always look forward and 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 um and you know we're in a really good spot now. It's so cool to be in this yeah. industry. You you should be so happy to take over this business one day. Oh. <laughs> Or not. <laughs> nah. <laughs> Just kidding. Well, I do remember putting Jess to bed when she was about, what would you have been, eight? She said to me, Mum, have you got a will? And I said, yes. She said, oh, can you please make sure you leave the farm to someone that you don't love? <laughs> <laughs> so I guess she never wanted it. <laughs> As they say, you can take... The man out of the IT space, but you can't take the IT space out of the man. Because, Dad, you're actually working on developing an app used for oyster farm management. So, could you tell us a bit about that? Oh, how long you got? Get, put your nerd cap on. The IT, I used to love. I was, like, programming when I was, like, 14. But then I got, you know, I was unsatisfied. But since then, of course, we have mobile devices, better communication. That you can now build software, or apps as we call them now, on a phone, which is really useful to a farmer, but you couldn't have done that 20 years ago um, with, without it costing an absolute fortune using different sort of communication technology. But now it's technology so cheap and it's so cool. So I did get dragged back in 
um, our industry decided to do a project and they all looked at me saying, hey, you can be part of this. And, oh, I love it. I love this um, this new part where it's strangely combining what you know my old skills with my new skills but in a happy way. Yeah, so it's really good to, to sort of brought that together. I never would have thought it would happen, but I, I love it because um, technology is so... Uh, cool and cheap now that it, that it provides a solution and as and as like I was saying before um, now we can now we can be smart farmers. To me, it's so surprising that there really isn't like an oyster farming app or like an aquaculture app, like because there's apps for managing everything. There's apps for managing your your period and your your diet. And everything. I haven't got that one. <laughs> <laughs> but um... I recommend it. <laughs> so it's called My Shell. Yeah. yeah. Look at and that, are you the And are you the project leader of that? Like, what's your, I was what's the project manager of that, and now, over the years of doing it, uh, we now are selling it. We now have a commercial license for on-selling this app that oh. we developed. And in fact, I was having a Zoom meeting with someone in um, uh, Mexico or mm-hmm. uh, and, and other places around the world. So I'm having Zoom meetings with all sorts of... Um, places about rolling this out globally so it's all very exciting last but not least i want to ask a question that we've all been waiting for and that is how exactly are oysters going to save the world well (laughs) oysters are going to save the world because Mm -hmm. they provide food for people so it reduces wild catch and wild catch depletion of fish Mm -hmm. it provides biodiversity in the ocean so it actually increases wild catch fishing it it cleans the ocean. It provides carbon sequestration. How does it clean the ocean? Explain. Um, well, I don't like talking about it too much, but because they're filter feeders, they can be used to clean the ocean. Um, and in some places, they use oysters to clean bad bays and estuaries, but you wouldn't eat those oysters. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but they are cleaners. But our but our water here is some of the cleanest it is water in in, Austra- in the in southern Australia, hemisphere by golly. And the oysters are keeping it clean. Like, yeah, that's right. So just oysters as a species, yeah. um, they have these 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 um, awesome credentials, um, and also the carbon sequestration properties. So so to some level, they 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 hold um, carbon um, and have the ability to be you know used in some sort of carbon uh, emission trading system for for the polluters of the world can offset, um, and um, they're tasty. Another reason that I thought of as well, yep. um, because they're and because they grow in the water, no land has... It's a food that we don't have to, like, uh, cut down land That's right. Their impact, their impact is, is minimal. So you might put in posts or even floating devices. And we've got so much ocean to and use. And then you can take it all away. That's right. So the world's 90% ocean or whatever it is. Um, so there's so much resource to be used. And then you can take it all away and, and it, it's as if it was never there. And, in fact, it can add to biodiversity. It can add mm-hmm. to the water... Um, which has already been um, sort of smashed by other fishing, where all the old oyster reefs have been um, um, got, have gone because they raked them and, and they're gone. So now that you know, we can contribute to putting that biodiversity in, and, and in fact those oyster reefs back. So mm-hmm. they have, you know, and that's only a small amount of some of the benefits that oysters yeah. have. I think. Business advice: just a quick, like, little thing. People looking to get into business. What's well, a what's a mistake that you made? Let's just start by coming over and getting a job. Yeah, come over and work for us for a season. Oh, yeah, cool. do it. We have a house. We can <laughs> yeah, we've got a shack. Well, I'm, I might have to do a separate episode, maybe like 
We can even do individual one. Like I was thinking, I could do one with you, my cons- my consulting mum. Your mum. My mum and Jen. No, but um, we could talk about um, running a business, business and like maybe I could get people to ask questions and stuff because like well, I don't really know. What? Well, no, what? you know heaps about repeatable business models, yeah, proceduralizing and you could get you could be a business consultant right now. Yeah. Well, no one, no, no one's gonna want to listen now that you're doubting yourself. So. <laughs> God. Well, I don't want to sound like an expert. Well, you are well, an expert that's why in setting it's up a business. Unqualified and unafraid. Oh, okay. Well, I'm, uh, right. I yeah, can that's the point of the I podcast. Everything then. <laughs> <laughs> that that was you guys though when you started the farm. You're unqualified and unafraid. <laughs> yeah. So well, it fits in. Your mother has consulted before in quality management and business procedures and implementing and. Writing methodologies for IT, so she's got she's quite a humble. lot of experience, yes. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your mates, and if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give it a rating and a review. It's one of the few ways that I can tell if people are engaging with the podcast. Don't forget to add our beautiful home, Kangaroo Island, to your travel bucket list, and visit the Oyster Farm Shop in American River for a true farm gate experience. You can keep up with the farm on Facebook or follow at KR Shellfish on Instagram. If you want to try our delicious oysters on the mainland, they can be found every Saturday at the Wollonga Markets and at Seafood Chess in Old Nolonga. For updates about my podcast, follow the Twitter and Instagram, both called at you and you underscore podcast. I look forward to bringing you more insightful conversations with creative people and people following their dreams. So keep your eye out for the next episode. Thanks for listening.